For those of you who are joining us online, it's always, always a pleasure for us to be able to lead you into this place where we're able to worship God, to dig into his word, to worship together online, to be able to do that with you. And if today you're checking us out for the very first time, love for you to connect with us right there online. You can fill out one of those links. Let us know where you're coming in from in the comment section, and we would love to get to know you better. Hey, for everybody who's here, maybe hanging out with us in person, it's awesome to be here uh, with you guys as well. It's lovely to see all of your faces. Lovely to know that down in children's ministry, amazing things are happening. So maybe you're watching online, just to let you know children's ministry is rocking and rolling. Uh, We're doing extra precautious things to be able to keep them safe in there. Uh, God is doing good things, and I'm excited about what he's doing. One of the very things that I'm super excited about that we're getting ready to do uh, on on Halloween night is this thing called Trunk or Treat. Anybody ever heard of that? Trunk or Treat. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited about it. It's been one of the things in the past that we've done here at MCC, and we've had over 2,000 people on the premises walking around, getting free candy, and all that fun stuff. And this year, obviously, Trunk or Treat is going to be a little bit different. And church, this is where I need your help. Right now, we're going to be doing a Trunk or Treat drive through okay? So we're going to basically have people stay in their cars, drive through. We're still going to hand them candy in, a, again, a COVID-conscious way. But what we need are trunks. And so for those of you who are watching online, we're going to invite you to come into this event. But also for those of us who are a part of MCC, you owe us one or two things, all right? You owe us either your trunk or you owe us candy, all right? So we need you to either sign up and say, yes, in fact, you will have my trunk there. Again, we need 23 of those, so we need those. And then if you're like, hey, I, I can't do that. I ain't popping my trunk. I don't, I, that means I have to clean my trunk out. And there's junk in my trunk. Um, not like that. Um, these people, guys. Um, if you're not doing the trunk, I need you to bring some candy. I mean, you owe us three bags of candy, all right? So, so make that happen. Hey, today we're going to be continuing on our series at war, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive into that. Jesus, we thank you, Father, that we can come into moments like this, and, 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 and everything shifts, God. In times like this, this is where we come under the authority of your word, God. And we believe that it's not just a good book about how we should do things and, and live, live, live our best life now. But this, this book actually is what holds the keys to life in its fullest. This book is actually, if we can lead into this, if we can understand the heartbeat behind this, this is what actually gives us that John 10, 10 life. Life more abundantly, God. Not a life full of riches, not a life full of wealth, not a life full of pleasure, but a life full of your grace. And we pray that as we encounter your word today, that your grace would be sufficient for us. That as we go into moments like this and we poke the bear, poke the lion that is the enemy, that we would remember, God, the greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so I know what I'm getting ready to talk about, and I know what Satan would love to do inside the minds, hearts, and lives of the people who are here in this room and the people who are watching online. He'd love for Wi-Fi signals to fade out. He'd love for distractions to happen. He'd love for all sorts of things. But Jesus, I pray in these moments, we would hone in to what you have for us. Like a platoon of soldiers getting ready to face life or death battles, we would lean in to what your plan says for us and not take these moments for granted. In your name. Amen. Well, today I want to start out 
uh, by going back into the passage where we started last week. We're we're going into this series called At One. We're diving in specifically to Ephesians chapter 6, this passage where Paul talks to us about the spiritual warfare that's going on. We're eventually in this series going to go through piece by piece through the armor of God. And what I want to do today is start right there at that passage. Let it take a chunk out of our time where we can read this, lean into it, see this passage of Scripture for what it is, and then begin to pull some things out of it today. So if you got a Bible, I invite you to join me on Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10. We're going to go all the way through verse 20. If you've been around MCC or if you've been watching us online for a while, you've heard me say this from time to time. This moment here, where we open up God's Word, we read together, this is the most important part of my message. And you get to be a part of that. God's Word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged swords. It can penetrate to places that my words never, ever could. So as we come to God's Word together today, I pray that it meets you where you're at, begins to even now speak to you as we will dive into it even more. Let's go. Ephesians 10, or 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray for me also, that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. You know, oftentimes when churches or pastors like myself will seek to uh, dive into this armor of God thing, oftentimes what they'll do is they will go piece by piece through the six pieces of the armor, and then they'll tack on kind of a week seven, and that will be where they talk about prayer. Uh, you've heard it said maybe before as you've leaned into or studied this, that, that prayer is a piece of the armor. I, I would shift that thinking a little bit, and I would actually say that prayer is what allows us to be able to put on the armor. See, remember Paul, as he's writing this passage, he is in prison in Rome. He's writing this passage chained up, and he is looking at a Roman guard. And he is suited up from head to toe in exactly what one of the world's best, most renowned military soldiers would have had on. And he goes head to toe, and he walks through this guy, and he sees him there. And as he sees him, he understands that this is also what a Christian warrior should wear. But Paul, as he's looking at this man, and then as he's writing out what a a Christian, someone who is a soldier for Christ, someone who has enlisted into that army, fighting the battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities and the spiritual dark forces. He looks at this guy, and I believe he goes, something is missing. Yes, this soldier is incredibly trained. Yes, he is strategic. Yes, he has gone through rigorous training to make him who he is. And man, he is deadly for sure. But he's missing something. 
And I believe that's where he turns this corner. And at the end of walking through this passage about this armor that a Christian is supposed to wear to fight and engage in this spiritual battle that we are all in, friends, he says, take up prayer. And prayer, and pray, and pray, and pray. In this passage, he mentions prayer so many times because he's, he's making the point that prayer is what allows this to connect all together. That you can put these things on individually and have no effect and still stand no chance. But it's only through prayer that you stand the chance. And so what we're going to do is we're going to actually start at the end and then go back through and piece them all together. Because you can understand the helmet of salvation. You can understand the sword of the spirit. You can understand those things. But if it is not rooted and grounded in prayer, you will never learn how to pick that sword up. That helmet will never fit your head. The breastplate will be way too small for you and the belt will be way too loose. If you don't understand prayer, you will never be able to suit all the way up and be the battle-ready believer that I believe Jesus is calling you to be. So we're going to start there and then we're going to learn what it looks like to be fully suited up. So if you will, go with me. Ephesians 6, we're going to start in verse 18, all right? Bible's open, Bible's out, notes ready. Let's get this. Ephesians 6, verse 18. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. All right. You don't get very far into that. You know, we can skip over things and be kind of like, okay, cool, yeah, pray in the Spirit. You know, well, that's good. But you don't get four words into that, at least if you're reading slow, and go, oh, what does that mean? Look what he says right there. And pray. Okay, we're like, okay, cool, I know how to do that. But then he throws us a curveball. He says, and pray in the Spirit. Now, if I were to ask you to explain what it means to pray in the Spirit to a fourth grader, how would you do that? Pray in the Spirit. Like most of us would go, I, I don't know where to begin. If I was to ask you to, to, to pray and, and figure out what does it mean to pray in the Spirit and then explain that to a 14-year-old, most of us would be like, still, I, I don't know. Okay, And then take it to even a mature, more mature. It's like a 44-year-old. We say, hey, I want you to understand what it means to pray in the Spirit so much so that you can explain it to someone who's 44-year-old, a peer. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What if I asked you? What does it mean, friend? To pray in the Spirit. Because again, if Paul, he says there is a literal war going on for your family, for your life, for your soul. There's an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And you, the only chance you have is to put on this armor. And he says prayer is the thing that gets it on. And then the way he tells you to pray is he says, pray in the Spirit. Which we look at and go, well, what in the world does that actually mean? Like I pray, but am I praying in the Spirit? I'm praying for my food, I'm praying for things, I'm praying for people. Is there something I'm missing here, Paul? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit today? That is going to be what we're going to spend a bulk of our time diving into. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? First of all, you have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it very clear that we serve a God who is God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, I want you to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. See, the role of the Holy Spirit is to deliver the mind of God to the child of God. I'll say that again. The role of the Holy Spirit is to deliver the mind of God to the child of God so it comes out in the life of the child of God. So what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 and 10, this is what he says. He says, however, it is written, 
what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. These things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us. Listen, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. See, Paul, as he's setting up this passage, he say, there is this evil day. That we are in. And the only chance you have of withstanding this evil day is, is being able to pray in the Spirit. Put on this armor of God. The point that I believe he's trying to make here, when he talks about this life of the Spirit and how if we are going to be Christians who pray in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and the, and the Spirit of God is actually this, this ability for us to have the mind of God in here. What Paul is trying to explain to you and me is if we are at war with an enemy that we cannot see, if we are at war with an enemy that we cannot hear, that deception is outside of even human comprehension, then we are going to need to have this Holy Spirit reveal to us things of God that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived. So the Holy Spirit wants to show us these things so we can combat the things that are also unseen. See, in Scripture, over and over again, when you have the spirit mentioned, you also have this thing called the flesh mentioned. And they're over and over again talked about of being in this battle, one against the other, the flesh versus the spirit. So I want you to understand when he says in the spirit, what he's talking about. Let's start with that little participle, in. So when he says in the spirit, it's not an in of like, I'm in the club and then I'm out of the club. I'm in the pool and then I'm out of the pool. When he says praying in the spirit, he is implying that this is not something that you go into and out of. This is a perpetual way of life. This is something that you remain in. He doesn't want you leaving, coming and going. He says, I want you to remain in this realm of the Spirit. Now, again, that's a, that's a Christian-y word. Like, if you're watching this, you're, you're new to faith or anything else. Let's talk about that. The realm of the Spirit. It's so where Paul started this passage. He says, hey, there's this realm of the Spirit where things are going on that don't meet the eye. What is this realm of the Spirit? For us, on the good side of it, it's a spiritual mindset. It's this cognitive awareness that there is something else going on that doesn't meet the eye. Paul, more than I think any other place, talks about this in Romans chapter 8. I would say this week at some point, go read all of Romans 8. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. But if you want to understand what Paul is saying, I'm going to try to pick out verse 5 and 6 because I believe this is where it's at. What does it mean in this realm of the Spirit? Paul, Romans 8, 5 and 6. Listen to what he says. Listen close. Those who are living according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So Paul, for everybody, he's saying there are two ways to live. There's a way to live by the Spirit, and that one doesn't, that one doesn't lead to death. That one leads to life. And then he says there's a life led by the flesh, and that, that doesn't lead to life. That leads to death. And so my question is, which of those sides of things do you want to be on? Life by the Spirit or life by the flesh? And Paul goes on to say that the life in the Spirit is life and peace. And I don't know about you, but that's the life that I'm after. A life with some peace in it. And so when you're walking in the Spirit, you have this mind of the Spirit. And this has to do with the way we think. 
man, uh, so much of the battle that we face has to do with our thought process, the way we think about things. It's been said that the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. See, this tension between the flesh and the spirit. Jesus wants you to think spiritually, not secularly. He wants you to think biblically, not worldly. He wants you to think the thoughts of Christ and not the thoughts of man. In Galatians chapter 5, 16 and 17, he laid this out. Love these passages. And as you can tell here, I'm not trying to explain this to you with my human understanding. I'm using everything that's in Scripture to be able to help you understand. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Scripture makes that really clear. Look at Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Let's say that together. You are not to do whatever you want. We can't just say that to our kids. We have to say that to ourselves. So he says, okay, pray in the spirit. If we're going to do that, we've got to understand there's a battle between our flesh and the spirit. So let's take a second. We've talked about the spirit side. We have some Bible verses for that side of things. Let's talk about the flesh. What is the flesh? Paul gives us a really good Hint at the end of verse 17. He talks about what is the flesh. See, the flesh is that thing in you that wants to get pleasure on your own. It's that thing in you that wants things to be your way, to get pleasure outside of getting it and receiving it from God. It's that thing inside of us that says, I want to eat what I want. I want to drink what I want. I want to have sex with who I want. I want to say what I want. I want to do what I want. That's the flesh. And James, the brother of Jesus, he made it really clear that, that we have these evil desires that wage war against us. And they're dragging against us, pulling us away from the good that God has us. And Satan knows what those desires are. And so he entices us based off of those desires. Your desires are a little bit different than my desires. But he says here that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, our propensity when we see that verse, is to actually misread it. We, we misread it because we want it to be different. We want it to say, if you walk by the Spirit, you will no longer have the desires of the flesh. That's what we wish would happen. That, like, if we were just walking in the Spirit, we would no longer want to take a second look when we see that person jogging on the sidewalk. We, we want it to be to where, when, if we could just, man, just do a little bit of fudging on our taxes, we would get a whole lot more back. We want it to be at this place where, man, we can really be honest about how we're feeling instead of kind of telling white lies to hide it all. We want it to be this place where we can just live by the Spirit, and all of those desires will just stop. Has anybody else ever experienced that in their life? Have, have we you know, found that desire to be there? I don't think there's anybody in this room who is so spiritual, or anybody watching online who is so spiritual and so walking in the Spirit that they have just found this place, this magical place, where every desire to do anything that was sinful is just completely gone. But an equally more dangerous reality happens oftentimes when we read this verse and we put it in reverse. And we say that if I walk by the Spirit then all of those desires will go away. And the flip side is equally bad. We say, if all my desires go away, i got to get all these desires to stop being there, and then I can walk by the Spirit. 
Some of you grew up in that church. Where if you could stop doing those things, if you could stop wanting to do those things, then you could finally get to this place where you would walk in the Spirit. But guys, that is a false gospel. Paul says that is the furthest thing from who Jesus is and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. If you truly want to experience the grace of God, you ought to understand that if you continue to walk in the Spirit, if you trust in who He is, if your mind is not on things of this earth, but they're on things in a heavenly kingdom, then what you'll begin to experience is the things that your flesh desired. You will finally, because you are walking in the Spirit, you will finally have the power to say, I can resist. And that doesn't look as appealing as it used to look. You'll finally have the capacity to fight, kill, and resist sin that I believe has been ruling and reigning in so many of our lives for way too long. When it talks about praying and this idea of praying in the Spirit, as I'm pastoring people and talking to people and even wrestling through my own tension, oftentimes you'll hear hear people say, well, I'm praying, but nothing's happening. Anybody ever felt like that? Man, you just feel like I'm praying, but man, nothing seems to change. I'm praying for this person. Nothing seems to change. I'm praying for my life. Nothing seems to change. When I think back to my own life, and I think about some of the prayers I prayed, I think the context of my prayers may have been off. How many of you have ever heard of Jackson Lake in Georgia? I live pretty close to Jackson Lake. Um, it was funny when COVID happened, there was this meme that was going out and, or it was like a Facebook post, and it said, um, I'm not scared of COVID, I swam in Jackson Lake as a kid. Um, or like, I swam in Jackson Lake, pretty sure I'm immune to COVID now. Um, but for instance, let's just say you, you go to Jackson Lake, don't take any scuba gear, no snorkeling stuff, you go to Jackson Lake, and you think, well, man, like, I'm just going to get underwater and I'm going to start breathing. Um, I'm just going to breathe in here, I'm just going to go underwater, I don't need any things like this, like, I'm just going to go underwater and I'm going to start breathing. And you get under there, and you take a breath out, the one that you were holding, and you try to breathe in. Then all that just comes into your life. Or you do it through your nose, and you get in the water, and you go all the way under, and you just... And as that lake water begins to pulse and just terrorize your nasal passages, you start to freak out, and you start to panic. And you keep trying to do it. You remain underwater, and you keep trying to breathe. What will eventually happen? You're going to drown. And see, I think many times we're doing the right thing. Breathing is right. Like, again, everybody in here is breathing right now. The reason you're alive, the reason your brain's functioning right now is because you're breathing. You're doing the right thing in this environment. But if you go to an underwater environment, the right thing will lead to death. It will lead to frustration. The right thing in the wrong place will not yield you the results that you actually need. And so I think many times we fail to realize that there is actually a right environment for prayer and a wrong environment for prayer. Paul is laying this out in all these passages. He's trying to get us to understand that there is a prayer in the Spirit, but there can all, and this may sound weird to hear, but there is also prayer in the flesh. And I'm afraid that so many of us American Christians find ourselves only praying in the flesh. 
Praying for our own desires. Praying for our will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying for us to be able to have the things that we need. Praying for this right person to get elected. Praying for these right things to shift and change. Praying for only our kids to be able to get into the right school and marry a good girl and do all these things. And we find ourselves praying for all of these things and wanting the results of these prayers more than we actually want the God who we are praying to. And see, those are prayers that I believe are prayers that are the right things, the wrong motives, and the wrong environment. And they're going to leave us feeling desperate, wanting, and eventually Satan is going to use and twist those prayers to make you angry at God so that you will turn your back on him. And my hope is that we would be a church who begins to understand what it means to pray in the Spirit, to long for the heart of God more than we long for what a God can give us. See, when we do those things, we stop praying in the flesh, what we begin to do is we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, that is when we can get suited up. When we pray in the power of the Spirit, that's what gets us head to toe, battle ready, ready to go to the front lines of the battle against the enemy. Because now we're walking in with confidence of the power that is actually in us. See, prayer in the Spirit is how we become powerful. It is how we raise the sails of our lives so the Holy Spirit's wind can blow us in to where we need to go. So if prayer in the Spirit is how you as a believer, how us as a church, is how we get, we, we get our power, then you've got to understand how the enemy gets his power. And this is where I think so many of us are asleep. We don't understand how he gets the power that he has. We, we recognize and we realize that he has power. We see things going on on TV. We, we see things on social media. We experience things in our own lives. We see death, decay, and destruction. And we understand that it definitely seems like Satan has some power. And he is rocking and rolling here on planet Earth. And, and, and he never takes days off. And he is doing some things that frustrate us. So we realize he's got power. But I don't think we realize how he got power. See, guys, the only power that Satan and his demons have is the power that we give them. The power that we allow them to have. See, what Satan realizes and understands that maybe we don't understand. He cannot twist our arms. He cannot get you and force you and do it. The people who say, well, the devil made me do it. No, friend, he didn't make you do it. Your evil desires dragged you away. He enticed you. That sin became full birth. It gave birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full grown, leads to death. He knows what he's doing. This is not his first rodeo. There are specific demons assigned to you. So he knows what he's doing. But here's the deal. He knows that he cannot overtake you with power. And so how he seeks to overtake you is he uses the permission that you give him. We give him permission. He knows he can't do it with power, so he does it with permission. Now I want you to understand how this works. When you think about your own life. You've probably gone through seasons, or maybe you're in one of those seasons right now, where it may feel like hell is breaking loose. It may feel like pain is happening. And see, Satan knows that he, his, his desire, he knows hell is, is where he has been cast out. Hell is where he belongs. And so his desire, while we're on earth, and we're seeking to have God's kingdom be here as it is in heaven, he wants to bring hell to us. All the destruction, all the pain that he's know, he knows he's going to face for eternity. He wants that to be your wake up. Every day, you go to bed every day, the hell that he knows he's going to get to experience and will experience forever. So he wants to bring hell to you. And the only way it gets there 
It's by the permission that we give him. When we say, I give you the permission to tell me that I will always be alone. Uh, when we give him permission to tell us that we need the drugs. We, we can't get rid, of the, get rid of the drugs. We need them to keep going. When we say, I give you permission to tell me that I need to have that drink. And I need that drink. And I earn that drink. And I actually cannot live without that drink. I give you permission to send me all the stress that comes with being tens and thousands of dollars in debt because I gave you permission to spend all of my money to make sure I had the most comfortable life possible. I give your demons permission to influence my kids through unrestrained time on digital devices. I give you permission to influence them however you want. I give you permission to allow me to wake up depressed, to go to bed depressed, to believe that the next years of my life I'm going to be spending in misery and depression. I give you permission to let me believe that. See, I'd go as far to say this. Much, is a hot topic, but much of what we have labeled as mental illness is really demons having been given permission to steal our peace. Now, before you email me, I'm not saying that what is going on in the physical is not real. But what I am saying is that a lot of what we call physical chemical imbalance is actually the result of demonic performance. Demons have been allowed to roam free in the house of our head for so long that the chemicals, I believe, are going crazy. Now, again, I know that there are surely exceptions to this. That's not my point. My point is that until you address the spiritual, until you come at it from that place, until you address the spiritual, you don't know if it is really just physical. And so many people, we, we just run around, and in the moment we feel sad for, we feel sad for two weeks in a row, well, oh, this is a physical thing. I need to go get this. I need to go do that. And we never come at it from a spiritual plane. And see, if... If it started in the spiritual realm, which again, I believe if we're going to be Bible-believing Christian, that everything that is negative, that is wrong, that is painful, that is broken in this world, even our emotional side, everything that is in that spot, it started in a spiritual place. And so if it started in spiritual and we're only addressing the physical sides of it, then you'll never get to the real problem because the demons have given permission to stay there as long as they just calm down. And they're still there. And like roaches, they're not going anywhere because we've given permission and not really given them the admonition that they are, in fact, the root part of the problem. And our unawareness of what's really going on in the spiritual realm, Satan's strategies have allowed those things to mess up our lives. And my hope is that we would be people who stop giving permission who stop giving permission and again prayer it is only through prayer prayer is the only thing that you have in your arsenal prayer is it prayer is the only way that you revoke the permission slip that you've given the enemy over your thoughts your life your mind and your family prayer is the only way that we have power enough to revoke the permission that we've given him you don't have power to push him out on your own you have to say to him you no longer have permission to run my life. You no longer have permission to steal my joy, to spend my money, to keep me isolated, to steal my joy. You no longer have permission. There may have been times in the past where I gave you permission to bring hell to me. 
But we need to be the type of people who say, yeah, I may have given you permission to bring some hell to me in the past, but from this day forward, in Jesus' name, the only thing that you have permission to do is to get the hell away from me. And, and I think that we come to these places, man, where we pray so soft. And like we pray these prayers that are all put together and nice, but man, you're in war. And you got to believe that you're fighting from, from victory. And again, like, like you know, some pastors that preach on spiritual warfare and they go, I've read the back of the book. We win. Newsflash, friend. There is no we in this. You didn't do anything to win. Jesus won. You at best are a trophy of his grace that he has on, on the mantle of heaven. That's you. You didn't do anything in this. So we got to get, get this in our head, man, that that's who we are. And that grace that was sufficient to get us there as trophies of his grace is sufficient for us right now on the battlefront of our minds. That's why Paul, when he started this thing out, he said, we wrestle. We wrestle. We wrestle. I mean, it's even that W-R-A-S-S-S-L-E. We wrestle against not an enemy that is flesh and blood. And this terminology for wrestle is like I'm trying to drag you to the ground and get you to tap out. That's what Satan wants to do. So you tap out. And so in regards to prayer, we gotta get out of this, we gotta get in this shift. Prayer has got to stop becoming a wish list. God, I wish you would do this. I hope you do this. I, I really would love to have, you know, a secondary source of income. God, I wish these kids would behave a little better. Prayer is not a wish list. Prayer is a weapon. It's rooted in what God has done through Christ to weaponize his grace in our lives. That's what prayer is. And it's high time that we begin to figure that out. So when, practically speaking, like in our lives, it's got to change how you talk to people. It's got to change what you post. It's got to change even what you think. See, when we talk to people, when we talk to ourselves, and most definitely when we talk to God, we're not talking to him as people who are coming from this place of, God, I hope you do this. God, I, you know, I, 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 hope, my, I hope nobody in my family gets COVID. Like, we don't approach things from that. We, we, we approach things by saying, I am not. The God that I serve is powerful. He is able. He is mighty to save. And I think so many times we get so consumed with like, nothing frustrates me more. No, there's a lot of things that frustrate me. This is one of the things that frustrate me. Because I see it as an enemy tactic. And I know it's like hard and it's done. I know it's done in jest. But, but when, when people, like Bible-believing Christians, when we post stuff online, this, this making a joke out of our anxiety and depression. And I'm reading this, I'm going like, you've given it the front door. Like it's racking it, it's tearing up your life. It's not a joke. And say, we'd love for you to just let it stay a joke. It's not a joke. I think so many times we talk about it and we talk about it today, but we, we, we fail to actually go in to Jesus' grace, what he is doing, what he has done, and we just believe that this is something that we are always going to struggle with. But friend, I, I've read this, and it says that his mercies are new for us every single day. That means that you, the, the, the lie is that you have to wake up. This, this is just something you're going to get to manage. Now, for some of you, it may be, but Paul had a thorn in his side as well. There are things that we just continue through life, and through the process of sanctification, God's grace continues to meet us in the midst of that. But don't you dare wake up believing that it always has to be that way if you believe that it shouldn't be that way. There's a God who believes the same thing. His power and His grace is sufficient for you. 
So what I want to do, I feel like I've done a good enough job being really fired up and explaining this because I need you to get this. So I want to, I've, I've told you what it means to pray in the Spirit. I want to show you how. All right? You guys saw the whiteboard come out. You knew things were going to get real today. Okay? Um, let's walk through this, okay? I'm going to put 618 back up there. I want to show you this. 618. It says, and we pray in the Spirit. It took me almost 30 minutes to do four or five words. On all occasions, track with me for the alls here. Underline, circle the alls. There's three of them here. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Okay? So I'm going to show you how we pray in the Spirit. Figured out what it is. Learn how to do it. Okay? We learn through the alls. A, forget my left-handedness. Um, first thing says all time. Next, he says all kinds. Then he says all people. All right? Time, kinds, people. Now, there's this misconception out there that Satan wants you to not pray. That's false. Satan loves it when you pray. He loves it when you pray his types of prayers in regards to the time, the kinds, and the people. Because here's what Satan can do. He can use your unanswered prayers to be ammunition to fire back and make his case against God. And so in regards to this, Satan would love for you to pray these types of prayers in regards to these three things. First of all, from regards to time, seldom. I just, I just need you praying a little, every now and then. Something happens, something pops up, a little bit of dinner here or there, going on vacation for the road trip. I'm not saying these things are bad. Jesus, keep us safe, you know. Tonight around 7.30 for the Braves. Jesus, help the Braves win. Pastor Trent will be happier. He'll yell at us less next week. <laughs> Seldom. Next, in regards to the kinds of prayers, he wants them shallow. Jesus, just, you know, take care of this, take care of that. And, and look, and this is going to maybe step on some toes, but hey, it's kind of been a theme. Um, I still believe a shallow prayer is one that only lists the problems. Like this story of, of God's grace, the, the Bible that I read is much less of just the problems that exist in humanity as much as it is the grace of God to overcome the problems that humanity faces. And so if we leave our prayers at just the problems, I think we're, we, we have only hit the surface level of those prayers. And Satan loves for us to stay there because he gets us focused on the problem more than the God who can solve it. People. In regards to people, he wants in prayers to say self-centered. Self-centered. Just about me. Get lucky, maybe about your wife, your kids, family a little bit. As long as they just revolve around you, it's good. That's what he wants. Let me ask you a big question. It's going to be on the screen so you can take a picture of it or write it down and wrestle through it or get it tattooed at some place on your body. But if Jesus answered all of your prayers, like every single one of them, if he answered all your prayers today, would the world look any different tomorrow? If he answered all your prayers today, would the world look any different tomorrow? I don't know what you pray for today, but let's take yesterday, for example. All the things that you prayed for yesterday. <laughs> if you woke up today and God answered all those prayers would today look any different? Would the world look any, would, would your world even look different? 
This is how Satan wants you to pray. That's what he wants your prayer life to be. Because these prayers, again, we talked about this. There's prayer in the flesh and there's prayer in the spirit. This is prayer in the flesh. All right? Talk about prayer in the spirit. This is how Jesus wants it to look. All right? Instead of seldom, steady. Consistent. Pray without ceasing, as the Bible tells us to do. As we're going, I heard a preacher say this weekend as I was doing some research and studying on this. He says, I never pray for more than 20 minutes, and I never go 20 minutes without prayer. Like, I was like, oh, that's it. I can't pray for more than 20 minutes either. I just get distracted, and I start thinking about, you know, fish and other things. And, uh, you know, how, how, to fish, how long could a fish breathe out of water? I just, it, in my mind, just goes to random places. a circus up here. But he wants us praying steady, steady prayers, consistent. As we're going, being, walking in that spirit, in that spiritual realm. Steady prayers. Next. What kind? Seasoned. And when I say seasoned, this is what I mean. Think about a, a, a war veteran. One who's still serving. You know, someone, who, someone who, who's a sergeant, a captain, a general. Someone who's been there, who's seen stuff. This is the type of guy that in the midst of battle, he knows what's needed for the situation because he's seen the situation happen before. And I believe in regards to our prayer and what kinds of prayers we should pray, Jesus is saying, hey, I've allowed you to experience some things, to feel some things, to go through some hurts, to go through some pain. And I need you to be able to look at the scope of what's going on around you and know what type of prayers for the type of people who are in your life. I need you to pray seasoned prayers, prayers like you've been there before. Next, in regards to people. He wants us to be praying for someone specifically. He wants us to be praying for someone else specifically. This is why every Bible-believing Christian should have a prayer list. Things that they're praying for on a consistent basis. People that they're praying for on a consistent basis. People they're praying will come to know Christ. He says, I need you to be praying for people specifically. Now, again, I talked about this, this prayer in the flesh and this prayer in the spirit. Now, I'm going to ask you a tough question. And this is why I wrote all this down. Maybe take a picture of it. Somebody just flash me up here. Not that way. But flash me with a camera. As you look at these in regards to your prayer life, which side are you on? The way that Jesus asks us to pray in the Spirit? Are you playing right into his plan and his strategy? Even in prayer. Prayer that you think is you doing something. Paul summed this part up in verse 19. I love what he says. 19 and 20. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. So what Paul does in great preacher fashion is he ties everything back into the gospel, which is what we do. He says, if you're, if you're going to pray, even if, even if it's seldom shallow and self-centered, we may still have some redeemable qualities if we land here. If it bubbles out bigger than you and your life and your finances and your family and just the little things that are going on in your life. But if it bubbles out and it lands back at this gospel, this fact that there is good news that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life to make up for the sins that you committed, to live a jacked up, broken life, to give his heart for you so that you could spend eternity with God's family forever in heaven. That good news, that though you could have never earned it, though you did not deserve it, that God's grace is sufficient for you, and that you have forgiveness that's available in Christ to have an eternity in heaven, that 
type of prayer will change things still. And my prayer is that for us and the spiritual warfare that we're in, we would take it there. That we would understand this key truth principle that a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And again, the power, the power is not to just live good lives. The power is not to just live comfortable lives. The power is there so that we may proclaim the gospel with how we live, with how we spend our money, with how we teach, with how we play sports, with what cars we drive, with everything. He said, I want you to do this in a way that proclaims the gospel fearlessly. So as we get ready to stand and sing this song, I want you to know something really critical. I love worshiping Jesus through song. And I love doing it as a church because here's what happens. This is one of the few times where we are all praying the same prayer. This isn't a sing-along. This isn't just a song. These words are specifically chosen to be prayers. You take the music away, the bands, the drum, all that stuff. You strip this away. This is a prayer to our God. So as we sing together... Let's sing like it is. Let's stand in this truth together as one. And you may be sitting there going, hey, I'm not a singer. Well, be a prayer today. Be a prayer. And stand together with us as a church as we declare that there is a weapon that is for sure formed against us, but it may not prosper. It will not prosper. That we, in fact, as God's people, we will see a victory, not way out there, but right here, right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you we can gather together in moments like this and lay our hearts on the line so that you can pick them up, put them back together, and allow us to come fully and wholly to you. Draw us away from our sin. Draw us away from our fear. I pray that the people in this room, God, would, would right now in this moment begin to declare victory over some areas of their life that they thought were a sealed up loss. There's some marriages that have been identified as being lost. There's some careers that have been identified as being lost. There's some children who have been identified as as being lost causes. There's been some hopes and some dreams that have been identified as, as being lost, Jesus. But I pray that in these moments, we would boldly declare that there is victory. And there's collective victory. There's no only children in this room, Jesus. We are yours. And we seek, God, to be this family who sees victory come as more and more people because your gospel spreading find their way in. We love you. And we stand and boldly proclaim you today. In your name, amen.